Welcome to the Worship Place Podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. Presence of the Lord is here. How many of you realize the trouble that we have sometimes trying to see into a world that we are literally blind by? We're living in the physical, and we're trying to live in the spiritual as well. Sometimes that's very difficult, and that's why the Holy Spirit plays such an essential role in your life. Maybe you've been taught that the Holy Spirit is like extra. It, it's, um, it, it only super spiritual people need it. But I just want to ask you this morning... If the Holy Spirit is sent to us to be a helper, who up in this room doesn't need some help? I need help. If the Holy Spirit is our comforter, who in this world does not need some comfort? I do. If the Holy Spirit is our guide, into the spirit world. Who in this world doesn't need a guide into the spirit world? I need it. I need it. If the Holy Spirit gives us the words, what to say, and such that the Bible says, don't worry in that moment that someone puts you on the spot about the Lord or any such subject and the Holy Spirit and we know the Bible says the Holy Spirit says in that moment he will tell you what to say who doesn't need to know what to say in a vulnerable moment when people are questioning you, when they're coming at you with accusations, false accusations, accusations that's been twisted and it no longer resembles the truth, who doesn't need the Holy Spirit to, in that moment, tell you what to say? Who in this world, the Holy Spirit is, to, it is sent to us to be a comforter and to tell us what to say in that moment, but it also says that the Holy Spirit will remind us of all the things that Jesus said. Who, as you're walking through life, doesn't need to be reminded in a moment of temptation or a moment of distress or just in the average boredom of your average work day, who doesn't need to be reminded of the things that Jesus said? I do. The Holy Spirit, why, do, why are things depicted in the Bible as animals or things that we can see? The, the reason why is the spiritual world, the, God has made the physical world based on things just like the spiritual world. So by the physical world that we can see, the spiritual world is better explained. So when you, when it says that the Holy Spirit is like a dove, what does that mean? It's not just, oh, a dove is pretty. The characteristics of the dove easily flown away. Think about that. That's why when the Holy Spirit is moving very intensely in the church, you might um, feel that, the um, ministers may ask you, please, no moving around. If you have a dove on your shoulder, how careful are you walking? Now, the Holy Spirit is not a dove, but the representation, we understand certain things about the characteristics of a dove that we recognize a dove is easily flies away. So you may be speaking in the tongues really good on Sunday, but Monday morning hit that pornography channel. The dove has done flown. The dove has flown. So this is what this is what we're talking about. It's not that the Holy Spirit is the dove, but the Holy Spirit. You have offended the Holy Spirit. So that's why we understand these characteristics when it says 
um, the Holy Spirit is like a fire. What does that mean? It consumes all around it that's unclean. If it's let to go, it will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. But it can also be smothered out by attitudes and, and dispositions and words that we speak can be smothered. The Holy Spirit is like oil. But we understand that just like oil, oil can quickly be burned out. So when we gather these pieces of knowledge from the Word of God, we begin to understand this bigger representation of what the Holy Spirit is actually like. What are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit? When you gather these things together, we can pull it into our world and come into more revelation of what things are in the spirit world. But when you no longer think of the Holy Spirit as just a bird or a fire, and you begin to have, the Bible says that we are to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. How do you have fellowship? It's not just by speaking in tongues that we have fellowship. We know this, the Holy Spirit is, if we have spoken in tongues and received the Holy Spirit, it's no longer without us. It's within us. But it's no longer within us unless it is kept fresh. Okay? So, so you may see a Christian that is the worst sinner, talks horrible bad about people, but their name is Christian to them, and you know them as a Christian. And so you're thrown when you see them do obnoxious things. Now, you can either leave the church and say, I can't go there because there's hypocrites. There's going to be a hypocrite everywhere until Jesus comes when he divides the tares. What you're going to have to do is, rep is recognize that person is not filled with the Holy Spirit. They can call themselves anything they want. They can even be demon-possessed and call themselves a Christian, but they aren't living a life unto God. So you have to start recognizing that it's not just because somebody says, I'm a Christian, and you recognize that they run the aisles, raise their hands, or whatever. You recognize all those things. But if we don't bear the fruit of the Spirit, these are fruits that we're to bear. Love, patience, meekness, a sound mind, caring for others. So the Holy Spirit is not something that you can claim and it be a truth. The Holy Spirit also is something that is reestablished in your life. It's something that you're having fellowship with. You say, how do I have fellowship with them? You're, you're walking into work. Lord, I'm going to walk in this building today. And I want you to tell me of any need, of anybody that needs a need. I want you to lead me, Holy Spirit. I want you to lead me where I'm to go and who you need me to encourage today. When I go home, I want to be able to recognize, tell me, show me, let me, let me do what you want me to do. What do you want me to say today? What words like the glory of the Lord um, rise among the people of God? Maybe you wake up that morning with a scripture. And sometimes I wake up with the scripture about um, the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Lord rising above the earth. I can't remember the scripture right now, but that's right. It'll come to me tomorrow morning. You know, and I wake up with it. Like, I didn't have time to think my own thought. It came to me. So then I know the Holy Spirit wants me to say this today. Because as we speak these things, we're declaring them into existence. Because speaking, this is a, a, a relationship of speaking. We speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks back to us. We call out things that God needs us to say. The, let the children of God be blessed. Let the, um, I speak darkness to be brought down in this situation. You fall. And in the name of Jesus, this is going to happen. Mountain, fall. It's not necessarily physical mountains that are causing us problems. So most of us are not going to tell a, a real mountain to fall. Why don't we just talk to the mountains in our lives that are causing us so much difficulty and so much trouble. And we say, who are you in the presence of the 
a mighty God to keep standing. I tell you to fall in the name of Jesus. So this week, I want you to, the Bible says we're to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We are to talk with the Holy Spirit, and it's going to tell us stuff. It's going to comfort us. He's going to be our guide wherever we go, and we're going to walk with him. And this same Holy Spirit, we're all in one, and we're moving in the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is given to this dispensation. Other dispensations didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. We do. And we only want to do what they did, just like the Israelites only wanted to do what their fathers before them did. When Jesus came, we want no part of that. And you'll find today that nobody, there's plenty of people want no part of the Holy Spirit, but that was what was sent. And we don't want to always be like, like back in the day when the Jews missed the coming of their Messiah. We don't want to miss the day of the Holy Spirit reigning within us and the joys of fellowship and establishing relationship and the Holy Spirit telling us what to say when we don't know what to say. And somebody comes and says something to us, we go, oh, my Lord, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to say. Tell me. And the Holy Spirit speaks that same Holy Spirit that is from the beginning of time. Let us begin to walk in the dispensation and the time that we have and not try to hold on to prior things. That's how, the, that's how they missed it back in the day. Recognize the Holy Spirit and begin to culture a relationship so that you can have fellowship. Fellowship is not um, what you do with um, you know, someone you barely know. Fellowship is what you begin to know each other. And we begin to recognize the Holy Spirit says, stop, don't say that. And you go, okay. Say this instead. And you say, okay. Because we're surrendered to the will of Christ. God bless you this week. Amen. They that are led by the Spirit of God are the what? Right. You can't be led by the Spirit. You're not in the family. Amen. I want to be led by the Spirit. I'll be led by the Spirit today. Let's stand together. We're going to dismiss our Sunday school classes. We're going to turn our attention to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. I'm going to read verse number 12. And we're going to go to Nehemiah, chapter number 2, and read verses 11 through 13 and verse 17. Isaiah 58 and 12 says, And they who shall be of you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Verse 11 of uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. These are the words of Nehemiah. So I came to Jerusalem, and, there were, and, and was there three days. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me, I told no one of what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate. I want you to pay attention here. To the valley gate, to the serpent well. I think I'm reading from New King James. Different versions may call it dragon well. Um, but here it calls it the serpent well and the refuse gate. I think the King James calls it the dung, pardon the offense, gate. And viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we 
may no longer be a reproach. I want to preach from the subject this morning, taking back generational blessings. You want to be a repairer of the breach? You want to raise up the foundations of many generations? Then God is in this place to help you get the job done. We're taking back our generational blessing. Thank you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. We praise you for the power of your spirit today. And we know that you're in this house to do great and wonderful things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Say Wednesday night. We're having a fellowship night, so you got to be here and enjoy uh, some good food. Come hungry. There's going to be food for everybody. Repair. Anyone ever have to call the repairman? The other day, I just happened to look under the house and saw there was a leak going on under there. I had no idea how long it had been leaking. But I know a plumber that's a repairman that Jim introduced me to. He never fails to show up when you call him. Not like the Maytag repairman. Some of you remember the old Maytag repairman ad- advertisement. He sits around. He doesn't have anything to do. Because apparently, uh, Maytag uh, equipment never breaks. Well, I'm not in the company of people that are never broken. Because we break sometimes. People break. Spirits break. Temperaments break. Sometimes we need some repair. There's an old song that says, this house I'm living in, it's in need of some repair. I don't think you're here because you're perfect or because you're whole or because you got it all together. I believe you're here because you want God to work on you. Does anybody need God to do something in your life? Does he need to raise up something that's been broken down? Does he need to put back something that's been taken away? Come on, does he need to, does he need to add, amen, add to your faith virtue and to virtue, right? Does he need to add something to what already exists? If you're here today and you believe in God and you believe in Jesus, amen, and you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, just like my wife said, you can have the Spirit of God added to what you know and have experienced thus far, and it'll change your life and change your future. <clears throat> so we need repairers of the breach. We need breaches to be repaired, and we need repairers of the breach. Captivity was devastating for the Israelites. Captivity was the culmination of a, of a lot of their neglect Neglecting the land Sabbath, allowing, God told them every seven years you need to let the land rest. But what they discovered was the land would produce crops even if you violated God's command. And it looked like they could get by with it. Remember this, nobody gets by with anything. huh? Just because it keeps on going your way doesn't mean you can live in violation of the principles of the word of God and get by in the end, right? So the day came when God was going to send them a bill for all of those many, many land Sabbaths that they ignored. And of course, the 70 years of captivity was the bill that had come due and God was going to exact of Israel those years that they stole from him. Praise God. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, you can't take nothing from God. If he wants it back, he's going to take it back in Jesus' name. Let me tell you something. When God wants something back, he can take it back. But here we're all too satisfied with longing and grieving over lost things in our own lives. Have you forgotten that you are the seed of Abraham grafted in to the lineage of Abraham through Jesus Christ and that all the promises made to him are made to you? 
Have you been contented to be the tail when God says you're to be the head and not the tail? God wants to promote somebody's life today. If you will become dissatisfied with where you are and lay claim to what God says you can be, he's going to raise up former foundations and cancel curses and release destiny in this house today. Put your hands together. And so at, uh, life is a complexity. Life is difficult to understand. We all have our own particular worldviews and based on our experience in life. You know, just take the captivity, for example. There were, there were many levels, layers of um, psychological impact of the captivity. There were those that were left behind, like um, Jeremiah and Isaiah. They saw, they were eyewitnesses of all of the destruction to the very nth degree. There were those that were taken away into Babylon, spiritual kidnapped, as, the, as you might say, like Daniel or like Ezekiel. They had to endure the captivity viewing life from the Babylonian side of things. And then there were those that were born in captivity, and they were raised up under the domain of, um, of Ahasuerus or Darius, or whoever might have been the ruling leader during that time when they were estranged from the land of Israel, perhaps like Nehemiah and Esther. And um, some had gotten so acclimated to be dominated by the world spirit that when the opportunity to come back to their roots uh, was given to them, many of them opted to just stay where they were. But you see, Esther would have never become the intercessor that she became if she would have stayed in her comfort zone in Persia or stayed in her protected zone in the king's palace. But every once in a while, God calls you out from among them to be separate, to be his, to be used by his purpose and plan. Hallelujah. And so we have all of these perspectives, people born in captivity, people born amid the ruins and the rubble of a broken down Jerusalem. And so when they came together, right, when they built the foundation, when they laid the foundation of Zerubbabel's temple, uh, the Bible said that the young men shouted and the old men wept. Why did the young men shout? Because anything is better than nothing. Anything in the direction of progress is better than no temple at all. Why did the old men weep? Because the grandeur that was part of Solomon's temple just wasn't exhibited in what was going on. Even in the seminal effort of Zerubbabel raising up the second temple, it just was no match for the splendor of former days. But I want to say this. Uh, there is a God... I, some of you, I don't know where you are in life. Some of us have seen devastation from as many people as are in this room. Our perspectives on pain, heartbreak, difficulty, disaster, circumstance. Everybody has their own story of pain. But I'm going to tell you something. God is the author of the rest of your life if you'll put your life into his hands. And the God that we serve today, amen, can raise up, amen, from the rubble of ruined generations, blessings, privileges, come on, gifts, miracles, turnaround, hallelujah. Somebody's life can turn around for the good today if you'll allow Jesus to get a foothold into your life in Jesus' name. And so... His name is Don Ritchie, the angel known otherwise as the angel of the gap. He lives across the street from a place in Australia called the gap. The gap is a place where the cliffs overhang the rugged rocks at the, at the, at the, uh, at the coast where the ocean meets uh, the, the land there. And it is, and perhaps was and still is, is uh, Australia's favorite place for people to go 
and end their lives. They go to this place, which is a lookout place. It only has a three-foot fence, and they linger. But across the street is a little humble house, and in the living room, there is a chair, and in that chair, an 80-some-year-old man, and his name is Don Ritchie, the angel of the gap. You see, his mission every day is to observe that lookout spot. And anytime he sees someone standing and lingering for any amount of minutes, he gets out of his chair and he goes over to where they are and he gives, greets them with a great big smile and he says, would you like to come in for a cup of tea? He doesn't scold, he doesn't warn, he doesn't preach, he just smiles and invites them in his home for a cup of tea. And having done that for 50 years, he has rescued at least 150 people from suicide just because he came out there, he greeted them, and he invited them, amen, to sit down with him and have a conversation. Don't tell me you don't have what it takes to make a difference in somebody else's life. Do you have a smile? Do you have a tea bag? Do you have a kitchen table? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. He said, I just couldn't sit there and watch people throw themselves over the edge. I had to do something about it. And I want to say this more. I can't just stand here and watch you uh, accept ruination, rubble, disrepair, brokenness and become satisfied with less than what God has promised you. You can be healed. You can be delivered. You can be set free. You can make a lot of money and be blessed. You can find somebody who loves you. You don't have to be alone. Oh my God, in the name of Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost today. I read a note that was in the body of a letter of some healthcare professionals, those that deal primarily in the psychiatric realm, and they commented on a note that was left behind on San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. And the note was written by a man who jumped off the bridge and ended his life. And the note said this, if one person smiles at me today, I will not jump. He stood on the side of the bridge and waited for somebody to smile at him. Nobody smiled. And he threw himself over the rail and ended his life. Praise God. You know what? You can't care about people until you see them and you can't see them until you look for them and if you look for somebody amen that God can use you to make a difference in their life you'll start seeing them everywhere do you have a smile <laughs> do you have a kind word Oh, hallelujah. You don't need a, you don't need a theological uh, degree. All you need is a heart, that, amen, that's after God and after the souls of men. And so their smile can save lives and span the breach. Praise God. You can stand in the gap and make a difference and raise up, amen, for the, the blessings of former generations do you know there are people that live a great part of their lives thinking that not even their loved ones love them? But if somebody could take an interest in them and show them just a little bit of God's love, uh, you, can, you can revive, hallelujah, hallelujah. You can revive a heart. Woo, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. And I want you to know God wants to raise up and wants you to help you take back generational blessings. The gates of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, there were 10 of them. They went by 10 different names. I'll name them, but I won't preach on them because it's just too much. 
But Nehemiah was called to be a repairer of the breach and to raise up the foundation of former generations. Because you see, the captivity brought total annihilation to the land of, of, of Judah and destruction to the temple, to the city, and to its walls and gates. Four walls, ten gates. The circumference of those walls spanned about two and a half miles. But we find out, history tells us that Nehemiah and the people that came with him were so dedicated that they raised up two and a half miles of stone walls and restored the gates in 51 days. Hallelujah. How long does it take to get your life together? You can get your life together in 51 minutes. Matter of fact, you can have it happen in one minute if you'll give God your all. In the day that you seek the Lord with all of your heart, that will be the day, he said, that you'll be found of me. Praise God. Does anybody want some repair real fast? Hallelujah. Amen. God has got a plan that can put your life back in order in just a few minutes' time today. Four walls, ten, ten gates. Hell wants your walls. And hell wants your gates. Huh? Walls are the things that keep the enemy from coming in. He wants to take your defenses away from you. But my Bible says that God will be a wall of fire around his people. Ooh. Turn to somebody and say, the devil can't have my walls. Because I'm not going to let him in. I'm going to tell you, the door that locks the devil out and locks from the inside, he can't get in unless you let him in. I'm not going to let the enemy in. Not in my mind. Not in my heart. Not in my emotions. Not in my future. Hell wants your gates. Gates are what let the praises out. Hallelujah. Praise God. He wants to shut your gates and open your walls. I'm going I'm I'm to shut my walls and open my gates. Praise God. Just do the opposite of what the enemy says for you to do. Praise God. And you'll probably find the will of God in the matter. Does anybody have a gate of praise here today? The sheep gate. The fish gate. The old gate. The valley gate. The dung gate. The fountain gate. The dragon gate. The horse gate, the inspection gate, the golden gate. I could preach on, on every one of those gates, but the golden gate. Ezekiel 43 said this. Ezekiel said, afterward he brought me. These gates are prophetic. Afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east, and behold, the glory of God, of the God of Israel, came from the way of the east, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east. Somebody say the golden gate. The golden gate is the only gate that faces east in the city of Jerusalem. And the golden gate was sealed by Suleiman the Magnificent in the 15th century, sealed shut by a Muslim conqueror, because he heard that that is the gate through which their Messiah would come. So he sealed it up. And it's still sealed to this day. But what he didn't know was in 600 B.C. Ezekiel gave a prophecy in 44 and verses 1 and 2. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces toward the east. But it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. Little did Solomon know that hundreds of years prior, I, I would say over a thousand years prior, a prophecy went forth that that gate would be sealed shut, and it remains shut to this day. So let me say this. Even sometimes God's enemies work in behalf of his people 
processes and his plans. And even the work that the enemy has done to break you down has only made you more determined not to let go of what God has done. And so the gate is sealed, but it will be opened again because Messiah is coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming back through the same gate that he left out of, praise God. And that's the eastern gate. Praise God. Praise God. Until he opens that gate, I'm going to open this gate and give God my praise. And so, I want to just go with this short journey with this midnight rider. Nehemiah, as he surveils the landscape of a broken city with a mission and a passion and a divine mandate to bring back and raise back former foundations, the foundations of former generations, Raise back up what hell has torn down. In order to restore generational losses, you've got to survey the damage. He went there by night. And he took a look around and he went to the worst place first. The dung gate. He started with the latrine. And it was and it was a mess. And he surveys the damage. You know, a lot of times people get uh, how shall I say momentary uh, momentary flickers of spiritual light and passion, but it dies away. You want to know why it dies away? Because they don't survey the damage that's been done. And they don't take an honest look at how far they've fallen. You can't get where God wants you to go until you go through a thorough place of repentance. You just get, you know, visit the worst place first and start where you're hurt. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. If you'll start where you hurt the most, the God that is a healer can heal you and begin that healing right there where you hurt the most. And from there, healing will radiate throughout your entire experience in Jesus' name. You cannot build the superstructure of a victorious life upon the rubble of unredeemed past. You have to have a God who can redeem you from your past. You have to be released from the destruction of former times and places and people. But the God that we serve wants you to have a new start in life. He wants you to be born again. All things pass away and behold all things become new so the dung gate was the place of the family dump it's where the trash was buried the neck and the devil wants you know the devil always wants to take you to the dump remember when you were a kid and you got to go to the dump with dad it was awesome tractors seagulls trash Mess. What more could a little boy want? It's all there. Intrigue. The devil keeps taking us back to the family dump. He keeps telling you, you had an aunt that went crazy and lost her mind. You're going to lose your mind too. He tells you, remember, remember old cousin so-and-so? He went broke. You're going to go broke too. Remember the alcoholic in the family? You're going to become one too. Remember the gambler? You're going to destroy your future through gambling too. Remember the womanizer? You got that same womanizer in you. You're going to be destroyed through lust too. And he keeps taking you back to the family dump. I'm going to give you a little strategy. The next time the devil takes you back to the family dump, take Jesus with you. Don't go back 
to destruct destroyed foundations alone. Take Jesus with you. He's the carpenter of the universe. He'll drop a plumb line and set the first brick and get this thing started. Hallelujah. Praise God. He won't show you what has been. He'll show you what can be. So generational ruin is dealt with through Jesus Christ. Rebuilding generational ruins begins in your valley. I hate to say it, but rock bottom sometimes is the best footing you can ever have in order to build a future that is blessed of God. And if somebody feels like you've hit the very bottom, I want to tell you something. It's just a springboard to launch you into the destiny that God has been waiting for this moment. He's the Christ of your crisis. Oh, I've just, that just resonated. I know it's not profound, but I believe it's a word from the Lord. He's the Christ of your crisis. Come on, he's not the Christ of your self-congratulatory party. He's the Christ who comes to you when you don't even want to come to you. He's the Christ who believes in you when you don't believe in you. Come on, he's the Christ who wants to heal you when you're trying to hurt you. Come on, does anybody believe he's the Christ of our crisis? Would you give him a hand clap of praise? Sometimes you need a Nehemiah moment. What is a Nehemiah moment? It's when you're so bummed out that even the king notices something wrong with you. What's wrong with you, Nehemiah? You're just not the same. How can I, how can I be happy when the city that I come from lies in ruins? That Nehemiah moment was the beginning of a mission that changed his life and changed the destiny of a nation. Sometimes you need a pig pen experience. And the prodigal son reached rock bottom when he would have ate the food, the husk that the swine were eating, and nobody even cared. Sometime you need to enter the prison of self-harm. You know the jailer who kept the prison entered the prison in front of Paul and Silas and the rest of the prisoners and would have taken his own life. But Paul said, stop! Don't do yourself any harm! He was a prisoner of self-hate. He was so fearful he'd lose his reputation, perhaps his life, if the prisoners escaped. But Paul said, let's light this place up. Let's talk to this man. The next thing you know, he's been baptized in the lovely name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Come on. Somebody has come out of the prison of self-harm. Some of you know what that story's all about. And you are a rescue line to others who are in that same place today. And you can show them the way out of the prison of self-hate and self-harm arm in Jesus because you've been there and you come out of it hallelujah I feel the Holy Ghost okay generational if generational ruin is possible then generational recovery is also possible anything the devil can do God can undo and God wants to undo what the devil has done After the dung gate, you got to go to the jackal gate or the serpent gate. You can't, you can't raise up foundations of former generations and recapture the blessings that God has promised to you until you deal with your demons first. Brother White told a story one time where he was walking along and saw a rat in the gutter, and he decided he was going to just follow the rat. He said, every time I walked, the rat would walk. When I stopped, the rat stopped. Then I'd walk again towards him, he'd walk some more. Then I'd stop, and he'd stop. Then all of a sudden, the rat turned around, looked at me, ran up my leg, and bit me. He said, I guess that's what you get when you follow a rat. We're going to follow a rat this morning for just a couple of minutes. The Bible says when devils go out of a person, they go into dry places. 
seeking rest and finding none. And in those dry places, they round up seven more fierce and wicked spirits than themselves and come back and make another assault. You know what dawned on me yesterday studying this for this message, and that is, first of all, Satan does not like to be tracked. Have you noticed that? In Job chapter 1, the Lord said, hey, Satan, where have you been? And did you notice how elusively he answered? And back, ah, here and there, you know. Here and there. Married guys, don't answer your wife that way. You better know where you've been. Ah, to and fro. Here's another piece of advice for young married men. If you see a harmless snake in your yard, inform your wife at your own risk. We have one in our yard somewhere. It's like the Loch Ness Monster. Sightings happen every once in a while, but my, it's my wife the only one that sees it. I never do. She said it raised up and looked at me. One time she said, I saw the snake. You're not coming in the house till you find it. Do you know how hard it is to find a snake in your yard at night? Why is it that if you see a snake or you see a rat or you see a mouse and it comes trespassing in your property or on your stuff, you don't just let it go find its resting place. You follow it. You track it. You try to find out where it comes from, where it lives, so you can uproot it and get it out of there. But when it comes to spirits from the evil one, we tolerate him just pulling a disappearing act. We cast him out and he goes. And then we act like he's gone. It's high time we track. You know what? The Lord told me. You know what people need to do that have a problem with recurring generational uh, dispositions, habits, sins, psychoses? You need to track the devil back to the family tree. Because generally, when he goes back to the dry places and looks for seven more, he looks for familial spirits. Not familiar, they're familiar, but the familial. He tries to round up spirits in your pedigree that are worse than the ones that are troubling you because he knows that, see, the enemy tracks families and wants to uh, spoil families. Well, we got news for the devil. We're not going to let you escape that easy. When we cast you out the next time, if you're troubled by lust or by greed or by depression or by some other spirit and you get relief from it, you need to say in the name, at that moment, you need to pray for mom, dad, grandpa, cousin, aunt, uncle, all the people you can, because somewhere, amen, in that domain is reinforcements, but you're binding those spirits in the name of Jesus and they cannot come and assault you again because you know, I know where you're hiding. I I know where you're going. I know who you're looking for. In the name of Jesus, leave my kinfolks alone. I want us to stand right now in Jesus' name. Give no place to the devil. Don't let him hide. Whew. The word place comes from the Greek word topos. It's the same word from topological. It literally means, see, there's un, don't let him hide in the unbaptized places of your mind. Like my wife said, don't let him invade places where the spirit is scarcely welcomed. Whew. Hallelujah. Don't let him find a lodging place in the unregenerate mindsets of your children, your family, your relatives. Plead the blood of Jesus over them. Because when you've gotten and dealt with your own problem, then God can begin. See, I love this about Nehemiah. He goes to the worst part first. And then it's all up, it's all up, up from there. Hallelujah. 
I'm opening these altars for someone who needs relief. You've been attacked. You've been broken down. The enemy's told you there's no recovery in sight for you. You feel abandoned and forsaken. The enemy rage you like he did through the Midianites and then goes back and hides and then comes back and rage and goes back and hides. We're flushing him out in the name of Jesus. How we're going to do that? First of all, I want you to come and I want you to pray for your... I want you to come up here and represent your generations. In other words, your family, your family tree, your heritage, your people, your mother, your dad, your grandparents, your relatives, your friends, the people that are, that are part of your family. Believe that God, hallelujah, can bring revival. Sometimes we're so occupied with praying for ourselves, we never think of the wider view that the enemy that's attacking you is attacking them. Maybe some far worse. I want us to plead the blood of Jesus right now over our family. Mighty God, in the name of Jesus, my children, Lord, my spouse, my spouse's family, my in-laws, Lord, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts. The father I never met. The father who abandoned me when I was a child. In the name of Jesus, somewhere out there, when the enemy looks for another weapon to attack me with, he might go there to get it. But in Jesus' name, I'll beat you to it. Hallelujah. I pray a prayer. Oh God, I pray a prayer sealing that person off from the enemy's attack and assault. In Jesus' name, I pray right now. I feel like God wants to undo. He wants to undo stuff somebody did to you. I don't know, something keeps telling me about six years ago somebody had something and you hit rock bottom and you thought there was no hope and no God and no help. But I'm gonna tell you here, God wants you to know that in this place today, the rebuilding has begun. Rebuilding has begun. Oh my God, in Jesus' name, I pray right now for somebody who thought that the destruction was so great that they can't come back from it. Lord, you've brought them to the place of recovery. Recover it all now. Recover it all. Recover it all in Jesus' name. Recover it all in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 You say, I have nobody. If you're following Jesus, you have somebody. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Do it, Lord. Do it now. Make a difference right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Your devil, you're not going to raid us anymore. You're not going to come in here and raid us with depression, oppression, fear, and everything else, and then just disappear. We're not going to let you do that. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we're going to chase you down with the blood of Jesus. We're going to put a boundary around you. We're going to put a fence around our family. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, oh God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Pray for your neighbor right now. Somebody needs, somebody needs your recover. Something that's been lost. Something that's been promised. Precious God, in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, we believe you right now. 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 We believe you. We believe. We believe. Oh, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Thank you, Lamb of God.